to all the lost of every nation, ring the message out. If there was ever a time where that message needed to go out, it's certainly today, isn't it? Thank you again, Stan, for that presentation. And to all of our safety team members, thank you for literally being willing to get in the line of fire um, for the rest of us. And we appreciate that in a, in a very great way. And so if you see something, say something. And when you're told to get down and stay down, what are you supposed to do? Get down and stay down. Uh, that is your job. And, and so please help uh, in that situation. That is the best thing that you can do for all the rest of us. And we pray that that situation never arises here or anywhere else. But these are the times we live in. And so, again, thank you uh, to all of you, to our elders for making sure, as best we can, um, that our worshipers are, are safe. You know, we live, in a, we live in the world. And in the world, Jesus said, you're going to have trouble, as you know, from John 16. And um, I, I couldn't help but uh, uh, smile a little bit, Ken, because right after Stan's very serious and important presentation, uh, one of our shepherds gets up and immediately talks about the fish fry on Wednesday night. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, dichotomy there. But, but that's... That's where we are, isn't it? I mean, we're not going to stop living. We realize that there's risks. There's always risks. And we're, we're going to be smart. I mean, we're not, we're not going to be ignorant and, and act like we don't know uh, that sometimes things happen and that this is a, this is a very uh, volatile time uh, regarding these questions. But we're also not going to stop living. And Stan is exactly right. All are welcome in this church. All are welcome in this church. And we want people to come. And that means sinners, and that means the needy, and we're all in that same group. And so that's what we want. That's what we want. And we want to bring out this great message to all the lost of every nation, right, beginning right here, and beginning in your circle. And that's one of the parts of the focus of our 2020 vision. This last part that we discussed today of our 2020 vision is to grow out. Growing numerically by spreading the gospel, increasing the kingdom, and making disciples. The call of our 2020 vision is to look up, first of all, growing spiritually. It is to reach in, growing in love and unity with one another. And it is to grow out, growing numerically, making disciples. Good news cries out to be shared. And the gospel is good news. In fact, the gospel is the best news. The gospel is the news that our culture our friends, our neighbors, our fellow students, our co-workers, our family members, the gospel is the news that they need. And we have it. And God calls us to share it. And so a couple of things about this 2020 vision, about growing out, growing numerically. First of all, this is no big secret. Jesus commanded us to grow out. This is what we call the Great Commission. This is not something that the elders and ministers sat down together and said, you know what, I think we ought to, I think we ought to tell others about Jesus. 
That's something new and fresh. Nobody's ever thought of that before. Maybe we should do that. (laughs) Sometimes it might seem that way, but actually that is the great commission, and that begins with Jesus. And the gospel writers tell us that. And Luke includes it in his second volume, the book of Acts, as well. That familiar passage in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus says, All authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. Just as surely as Jesus gives us this great commission, he reminds us of the power behind it, which is him. I will be with you. I will be with you. He calls us to make disciples. I've uh, Last fall, I went to the lectureship at Harding University uh, in Searcy, Arkansas, and their, their focus was on the book of Acts, and I'm going to begin a series on the book of Acts next week that talks about having that first century conviction that they had, but in our 2020 time and in our 2020 church. And one of the things that was shared in that that lectureship was the importance of the word disciples. Because in the New Testament, the word Christian is only used three times, and that's a shocker to those of us that don't realize that. Only three times. But the term disciple or disciple is used over 260 times. And that just in the four Gospels in the book of Acts. And so I want this year as we consider who we are and what we're about and what we should be doing. I want us, and I'm going to (laughs) try this as well, to use that term disciple more. Because I don't know if you feel this way or not, but to me, the word disciple seems to be a more challenging word than the word Christian. It, it seems to call us to do something, not just to be something, but to actually do something, to be a learner. That's the word. And Jesus was the one that we are disciples of. But it, it reminds us that this business of being a Christian and being a disciple is ongoing. For some reason or another, in my mind, sometimes I get the feeling that you become a Christian, you're baptized, and then you're done. You're a Christian forever after that. And I think that's true, but you never stop being a disciple either. And a disciple is someone who is growing. A disciple is someone who is learning. A disciple is someone who is doing. And the primary job of the disciple, according to Jesus, is to make other disciples, who in turn make other disciples. You ask Jesus, what's your plan for growing your church? And he says, well, here it is. I've got this small group of people, and they're my disciples. They're my followers. They're, they're learning about me. They're learning my values and my lifestyle and, and what's important to me. And it's now become their values and their lifestyle. And it's become what's important to them. And so just as I've shared the message with them, they're now going to go out and they're going to share that message with a few others also who will continue that same thing. That is Jesus' plan. You, we, are Jesus' plan. (laughs) Go into all the world and make disciples. That's our call. And so we teach them, and then 
those who are willing, we baptize them and we continue teaching them because the job of learning and being discipled is a lifelong job. In fact, the term disciple in Matthew 28 is actually a noun used as a verb. Go into all the world and disciple people. Make them disciples. The way Mark puts it in Mark 16 is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. The one who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The one who does not believe will be condemned. Preaching the gospel, the good news. At the end of the book of Luke, in Luke 24, Luke records Jesus saying, I want you to wait in the city until you receive the power from on high, which we know is the power of the Holy Spirit. The power that Jesus promised them in the Gospels of John. In the Gospel of John, in those chapters when he was talking to them in that upper room. And he told them, I'm going to go away, but my presence is going to remain with you. My presence will be in the Holy Spirit. Because I'm going to send you another comforter. Just as I was your comforter, my spirit is going to be your comforter. And my spirit will always be present with you. And so... Jesus tells them in Luke 24, wait in the city until you receive that presence, that comforter, that spirit. And then he says, repentance and remission of sins will be preached in my name, in the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, as Luke records the ascension of Jesus, he reminds us and those first century disciples and disciples today, us. That our calling is to be witnesses of what we have experienced, of what we have seen and heard, of what we have read and studied and learned and are continuing to learn. You be witnesses first in this city of Jerusalem, then in the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria, and then to all the world. And that really becomes an outline of the book of Acts that Luke gives us. Because we see the church beginning in Acts 2 and then spreading throughout Jerusalem and and then being persecuted in Acts chapter 8 and, and being spread around, going to those areas of Samaria, as Philip does, and shares the good news of the message. The apostles stay in Jerusalem. It's everyone else that goes out spreading the word, preaching the gospel. Jesus commanded us to grow out. In what we call the Great Commission. To make disciples. To preach the gospel. To do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. To be witnesses. Of him. And his love. And his mercy. That has been given to us. Well Jesus didn't just command us to grow out. Jesus demonstrated what it means. To grow out. And so a few stories that you might be familiar with. But that we'll emphasize today. In Luke 19 is one of those times when Jesus demonstrates what it means to grow out. And specifically, he says it means to seek and to save the lost. There is this man by the name of Zacchaeus who was a wee little man, as the kids say. And a wee little man was he, and he climbed up in a tree because he wanted to see Jesus when he was passing by. I don't think Zacchaeus wanted to interact with Jesus at all. I think he just wanted to see him. You see, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and I realize that tax collectors from January to April 15th aren't all that friendly with most of us either in this day and time. But it was especially true then, because unlike our IRS agents today, they were 
absolutely, completely dishonest. They sought personal gain through all of this. And they used their power and their authority as a club to increase their own wealth and their own standing. And they were hated by the people. They were outcasts. Well, Zacchaeus climbs up in that tree, and when Jesus sees him, he stops at that tree. And he says in verse 5, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And this was beyond Zacchaeus' wildest dreams. He can't believe what he hears. And so he comes down, and he welcomes Jesus gladly, because no one else would ever talk to him that had any standing in the community. And yet, here is this man that everyone is flocking to hear, and not only does he stop and talk to Zacchaeus, but he invites himself over. <laughs> I'm coming to your house. Some of the Jewish leaders would think Jesus to be unclean ceremonially because he's around this man. And so Zacchaeus invites people over and has Jesus come. And, and he volunteers this. He says, you know, I'm going to pay back. I've done people wrong. I know I have. And I'm sorry, and I'm going to pay everybody back, and I'm even going to go beyond what the law requires. And Jesus says in Luke 19, verses 9 and 10, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Not something some of the religious leaders would want to even admit. That's how they felt about him. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And that is what he came for. And he did that by dying on the cross and by reaching out to people like Zacchaeus, to people like us. As our shepherd Galen shared at the Lord's Supper time, thinking of our young people in their classes at the their Bible classes on Sunday mornings at the Lighthouse and how they've been discussing bad things happening to good people. And as Galen said, there's only one time where bad things happen to a perfect person. And that was Jesus Christ. And they happened to him, not because he was bad, but because we were bad. And that was his purpose, to seek and to save the lost. We turn forward to John chapter 4 and we see another example of Jesus demonstrating what it means to grow out. And what he tells us in John 4 in this interacting, interacting with this woman from uh, Samaria that he meets at the well is that the fields are ripe for harvest. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for a better time. We don't have to whine about how horrible the time is now. It is ripe for harvest. It is a good time. To share your faith. Not everybody's going to accept it. Some are going to make fun of you. But let me tell you, there are people out there that are searching. There are more unchurched, openly unchurched people in our nation and in our communities than ever before. And we may wring our hands and say how terrible that is, but Jesus doesn't do that. Just like he does in John 4, Jesus looks around and he sees people whose hearts are searching for something they haven't found yet. And he says, I've got what you're looking for. And that's what he tells this woman, this woman from Samaria. And in verse 4 of John 4, it says, John says, now he had to go through Samaria. And we realize he didn't have to go through Samaria. 
the Jews, the faithful Orthodox Jews, would go around it because the Samaritans were outcasts. They were half-breeds. They had sold out. They had become the enemies. But Jesus had to go through there not because of geography, but because of this woman and her village. So he stops for water, and the woman comes to draw water herself, and it's just she and Jesus. Likely she's there so that no one else will be around when she comes, and yet there's Jesus. The apostles have been sent away on, a, on an errand, and so Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink, in verse 7, and she can't believe it. Not only is this man here when I'm here, he's speaking to me. He's initiating the conversation. I can't believe it. And he's asking me for something, and and, Jesus, and she tells him, I, I can't believe, how can you do this? You being a Jew and me a Samaritan woman. Jesus tells her in verse 10, if, if you knew what was going on here, you would be the one asking for water, but asking for living water. And so they talk about that for a while. And then Jesus tells her the one thing that she didn't want to bring up. The one thing in verse 16 that she was praying would not come up. Go call your husband and come back, he says. And just as with Zacchaeus, what Jesus does is he brings out her worst moments and, and lets it be known, I know about that. I know about that. I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know what you've been through. And I love you anyway. And I'm speaking to you. And I want to give you living water. And she confesses that she doesn't have a husband. And Jesus tells her her own personal history that that community likely knew all too well. And then she asks Jesus that question. She's always wanted to ask the Messiah about worship. And, and they interact some about that. And Jesus tells her, and let me tell you about the true worshipers. They worship me in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. And so they worship God spiritually and truthfully. And then the woman says in verse 25, I know that Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the Savior is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And, and you can hear between the lines her hope, her question. Are you, are you he? Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Sure seems that way. I can't imagine Messiah would come and act any differently than how you've treated me. And Jesus doesn't confess very often, but he does to this woman in verse 26. I, the one speaking to you, am he. And then the disciples come back and she leaves and Jesus is beside himself. And they come and they say, wait, you need to eat something. You need to eat something. You're having a low blood sugar or something here. And Jesus says, no, it doesn't have anything to do with physical food. Are you kidding me? I have food to eat you know nothing about apparently, verse 32. And then verse 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. They're ready now. And you're missing it. And I fear sometimes that we're in the same boat with the apostles. That God sends us to people and he sends people to us and they all they need is a little interaction. All they need is a question or two. All they need is someone to show a little bit of interest in them to maybe build a relationship for a little while with them. 
to show them I'm not going to judge you, I'm not going to condemn you, I'm a sinner just like you are, but the difference is I have a Savior and I'd love to tell you about it. I can tell you how to find living water. This woman goes back and she tells her townspeople, these people that she was too ashamed to talk to, she goes back and she tells them about this man that she met at the well that actually talked to her that could be the Messiah, that knew everything about her and yet loved her anyway. And then they go back and they have faith in Jesus as well. Ripe for harvest. And then in Mark chapter 5 is this story of this man possessed by a legion of, Jesus, of demons. And though he wants to go with Jesus, Jesus tells him, you need to go home to your own people and tell them. We've sung that marvelous song about ringing out the message all over the world. And our church is very much about that with a very active missions program that we're very committed to and put a lot of money and energy into. And, and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But that's not the end of our mission because our mission starts here and continues on. In Mark 5, this man is living in the cemetery and he's possessed by this legion of demons and, and nobody wants to have anything to do with him. He's too rough. He's too scary. He's too dangerous. But Jesus goes and he talks to them and, and, he, and he tells the demons come out of him. And they do. And as you know, he sends them into this herd of pigs. That's what you call pigs, right? Herd. It's a herd of pigs. He, he sends them to this bunch of pigs. And, and, and they run over a cliff. And when the people all come, they see the pigs dead and they... And they see this man calm and clothed and in his right mind and sitting with Jesus and it scares them to death. And they tell Jesus, why don't you go away? This is too much. This is too real. I can't handle this. And so Jesus begins to leave. But in verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. And it's likely that some of the indications we get later in Mark is that he had an effect. Go home, go to your own people, tell them. Tell them. And he's telling us the same message today. As Ken shared in that prayer, we need to reach out to our friends and neighbors and invite them. Invite them to something here. Invite them to class. Invite them to church. Invite them to a, a, a fish fry on a Wednesday night. <laughs> Go home. Go to your own people. Jesus demonstrated what it means to grow out. He didn't just command us to do it. He did that. But he demonstrated it. He showed us how to do it. It's not rocket science. It's not anything extraordinary. It's just talking to people. Sharing a little bit about them. Letting them share. And then when the time is right and when you have the opportunity, putting in a good word for Jesus. So a reminder of our 2020 vision as we prepare to close. Look up, growing spiritually. Reach in, growing in love and unity. And grow out. 
spreading the gospel, increasing the kingdom, making disciples, growing numerically. And we'll talk more about numbers tonight, and I've got a few things to say about that as we talk about numbers. Next Sunday, we'll begin a new sermon series, First Century Conviction for a 2020 Church, as I shared earlier. Throughout 2020, we'll remind each other of this vision to look up, to reach in, and to grow out. And so to realize our 2020 vision, it will take a few things and more, but three of these this morning. It will take conviction. It will take getting out of our comfort zones and paying the price. And we see that in those early disciples in the book of Acts. They were willing to do both. They were willing to get out of their comfort zones And they were willing to pay the price. Secondly, it will take prayer. Just as Jesus told them in Luke 24, wait until you receive the power from on high. We must wait. We must pray, relying upon God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So next Sunday morning, that's where we start. We don't start in Acts 2, although it's a great chapter. And the beginning of the church and the first time the call is out to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. As important as that is, it doesn't come in chapter 1. In chapter 1, they're waiting. In chapter 1, they're praying. Are we? Are we? It will take conviction. It will take prayer. And lastly, it will take everyone. It will take everyone. It's not just my job. It's not just the minister's job. It's not just the elder's job. It's all our job. It's who we are. It's what we're about. Making disciples. God has put people in your life for the specific purpose of you telling them about the Lord you love and the Savior they need. Look at the fields around you where you live, where you work, at your school, in your neighborhood. The fields are ripe for harvest. There are people out there that are searching, and God is sending them to us. Like the man healed of the legion of demons, Jesus is telling you, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. If you need help doing that, come as we stand, sing our song.